and the calibration for acoustics is insane, right? It's like you have a a little thing that looks like a um, like a silencer for a pistol, and <laughs> yep. you put it on top of your microphone, <laughs> and that thing is supposed to be calibrated to put out like a 110 decibel sine wave or something like that, and then you tell your uh, whatever room EQ is it or whatever software you're using, hey, that's a 110 decibel sine wave. So Correct. calibrate yourself to that and then know <laughs> what every other decibel is that's going to come into that based on this information that I'm giving you from this piece of hardware. And then like, it just like, yeah. you just calibrate all the way down the line, basically. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of TheUns.com, Bill's manager and warden, and I'm a little sick right now, so hopefully you're enjoying these delicious tones. Today's guest is Matt Simmers. He was the producer and engineer behind Terra Vita and Hot Pink DeLorean and the solo project Woofax. He also works with PK Sound, the much-lauded Canadian mega-audio brand. They've powered some of the biggest events in bass music with their rumbling subs and are affiliated with some of the highest-profile acts and festivals on the planet. The guys get nerdy on sound systems. We're up and running on MrBillsTunes.com for this podcast. By subscribing for a low, low rate, you can get the podcast a week early and support the show. And if you bump up to the regular tier, you get all the things that hardcore Abletoneers get, like tutorials, sample packs, streams, project files, and more. Bill's been adding more micro-tutorials to his HCA feed, and you can still get this podcast in your podcatcher of choice if you subscribe through the site. Kill Bill, the collaborative project with Mr. Bill and Kill Smith, just announced its debut EP will be out in April. The duo hits Indianapolis on April 21st, Portland on April 22nd, Seattle on April 23rd, Manchester, New Hampshire on April 29th, and San Diego on May 5th, as well as DC on June 1st. Bill's doing solo sets at Disco Pussy in Vegas on May 3rd and Soundwell in Salt Lake City on May 7th. Both of those shows are with Ben and Canty of Z. On Sunday, May 8th, he's headlining Soul Fest in Florida, Bigfoot Electro is on Memorial Day weekend in Tennessee, and Tribal Connection is in Ohio on June 3rd. More Kill Bill and solo Mr. Bill dates are coming soon. Tickets at Linktree slash Mr. Bill's Tunes. Keeping it tight today, enjoy Bill's chat with Matt Simmers. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Um, and then just my sensitivity here. Check, check, check. Yes, it's a little quiet. Testing. Gain up. I don't know. It seems quite quiet for some reason. Am I quiet coming on your end? No, you're a good volume for me. Okay. Well, um, when when I, when you say it, it's quiet, does it just look quiet in Audacity? Uh, no, I'm just looking at, uh, I'm like minus 18 in the meter right now. Uh, uh, I'm like between minus 18 and minus 12. So that's oh, okay. Actually, okay. That's perfect yeah. then. Yeah. So long okay. as the noise is low, like the signal to noise ratio is good, um, which it sounds like it is, uh, it's fine. Yeah. This is, I'm just using in like an SM58. So 
Mm. It's nice. not nothing nothing fancy, but <laughs> good, en- good, good enough man. for a conversation. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. there's a reason why they're used all the time and uh, for uh, live applications and on stage. Uh, I think it's also just because you can drop them a lot and they, they survive. Yeah, they're robust. I, I, I feel like a lot with touring, um, most likely, like everything in life, people start to preference convenience over like what is actually the best thing for them, right? Like, sure, like live, there probably is better microphones. Like, I don't know, the SM7B might even be better live. You know, it's like it is a dynamic microphone. Um, yeah. But yeah, probably they, they do actually look a lot more fragile. I, yeah, it's, it's basically what's, what's going to survive. It's funny you mentioned that too, because, uh, uh, the, a lot of the applications for like some of the subwoofers that like, I would love to see a go on tour. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more difficult to have them go on tour mm. than having just dual 18s that pack in a truck and like work right. really well. So it's almost like more advantageous sometimes to have just a really good, dual 18 subwoofer maybe not something maybe something that's not even horn loaded something that's just simple and you can pack it mm-hmm. easily into a truck and it's and it's just reliable and 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 works well rather than having some crazy experimental huge subwoofer or something that i would love to see like <laughs> don't get me wrong i would love to see you know a giant subwoofers but um you know like for for with pk we have we have um our our 30 inch subwoofers that are on tour with um hamilton the the uh play the touring the touring play and uh it works great for them mainly mainly because i think they they're you know they when they set up and, and where they're setting up their their system uh you know they get to do several runs in the same building whereas you know if you're if you're like a touring artist sometimes it, it's very difficult to if you're bringing a sound system with you to have 30 inch subwoofers to take with you venue to venue because you're literally moving every single night so sometimes it's a smarter solution might be to uh to have you know just dual 18 subwoofer or something like that Mm. uh depending on your application sorry go ahead oh yeah i was gonna say and um a dual 18 equals what 36 inches of sub or something like that uh does that basically put out the same did I do? Yeah. Um, did, does that basically put out the same power and uh, volume and everything as as a thirty inch sub would? Now that you've got like two of them. Well, there's a, there's a lot of contributing factors to that because uh, it has to do with. Um, Feel free the to amp- explain them like in the most depth possible because I like the audience is pretty uh, audio heavy. Um, well, well, for uh, the in my this is in my experience. I mean, my 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 job at PK is is loudspeaker design so a lot of that in is testing speakers for uh their for their ability to withstand uh like a lot of intense playback uh it's not it's not just making something that goes oh yeah i'm making i'm making this speaker it's gonna sound great but if it if it doesn't last like through the rain and through transport and through touring you know that's that's a big and especially through heavy North American dubstep, <laughs> which is in itself, in itself a, a test of stress. Uh, because, you know, if we do, for example, when Excision takes our stuff on tour, we need to know that those speakers are going to last. So, um, so it, it, there isn't necessarily an exact equal uh, correlation between the size of a, of a driver that's inside a box and 
how much uh, how much SPL you're going to get out of the box. Mm. The um, there's the amplifier is a contributing factor. Um, there the the box itself. Uh, for example, if you have like any kind of like dual sound source, that's if you have a sound source that is coupling with itself. So, for example, like if I if I have uh, two drivers in a box that are are moving together in phase and coupling, we should going we should um we should explain those things, right? So we like, should shouldn't we? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So so, so well, two speakers uh, moving in phase means that uh, so so for starters, the way a speaker works in layman's terms is it it just goes through a series of pushing out and sucking in, right? And it just does that like X amount of times per second to reproduce uh, oscillators, you know, the sound that uh, we're listening to, which is an oscillation basically of a waveform between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz and coupling both of them running at the same phase. Uh, it's important always when using the word phase, I think to, to be like, well, that's just a measurement of time. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of times when you say the word phase, people are like, oh man, that's like a crazy scientific word or whatever. Yeah, like I saw that on Star Trek and then they flew the Enterprise yeah. through an asteroid. <laughs> yeah, and then they phased <laughs> or something. Yeah. Like, but yeah, it's, it's literally... They use a phaser. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> right. It just means when the left speaker pushes out, the right speaker is pushing out with it at the exact same time. And when it pulls out, same deal. Yes. Oh, and... and and, and uh, you can even, uh, you know, see that, like, if you were to look at a, zoom in really far in, like, a low-frequency low waveform, like a kick drum or something, and you, you can see it, the, the arc go up and then come back down and go underneath, and when it hits that middle, the middle line, and I'm talking about an impulse response, if you're looking at, like, a, like an impulse response, that it, it, as it moves up and down, you can actually tell whether it's going up or going down. Um, basically pulling in or pulling the speaker in or out. Right. Um, and, and, but with that, so there's like, there's like a few things that are like kind of rough estimations about loudness levels that you can derive from that. So if you have two sources that are playing together and coupling, in other words, playing exactly in the same phase, like within as each other, uh, they will roughly add about six dB. Uh, but that has to do, but, but you have to think about that um, at, in a way that's, that's, uh, exponential you're, when right? you're mo uh, exponential. So like, for example, uh, you know, if I have, if I have one, one box, one speaker, we should also explain this too, because like, this is another thing I feel like people get kind of, uh, confused about is exponentiality versus linearity in sound. So, um, <laughs> yes, linearity means like if you had one speaker and it was producing 10 decibels, then you add another speaker, it would now be producing 20. And if you add a third, it would be 30 and 40 and so on. That would be yeah. li linear, but sound doesn't work that way. It works exponentially. Yeah. <laughs> so it also, it also doesn't work um, uh, frequency, linear in a frequency level too, because there's certain, there's certain uh, frequencies that are, get, become more pronounced in coupling with loudspeakers mm. than others. So there, there's actually a different type of comp compensation you have to do as you add more and more loudspeakers specifically if you're doing a line array which is like if uh for people don't know what that is that's basically the if you go to a big concert and you see uh you know those large stacks of speakers that are hung coming all the way down um and so like for example if i had four speakers in a line array and i added another four that would add that roughly that that amount 
that I wanted. But if Which I wanted is, to wait, six DB, right? Because it's just double it, the amount that you. It's had. just double the amount. Yeah. It, it, but, but if you wanted to not keep double that, the DB. but if you wanted to keep that going, <laughs> mm-hmm. you uh, you'd have to add eight, right? To add uh, eight would just add ten DB, right? Would so you add four. If you add four, then you added another four. You double. Then you have to add another eight if you want to go up. Wait, and double. Right, you'd have um, double. Just means that we perceive it as twice as loud, right? Uh, if because doubling, obviously the the number of decibels is not going to go from eighty to one hundred and sixty. No, 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 no. I'm saying double the amount of speakers. I'm saying you double the amount of speakers. So if I'm at, if I have four speakers mm-hmm. and I add another four. Right then, you have eight. Now, if I wanted to go up that same amount of decibel level that I just added, or right, just D- DBSPL, you'd have you to add. In, eight. You can't add another four. You have to add right. another eight. Gotcha. Right? Yep, yep. So that's that's the exponential that we were talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so that that also goes back from within a uh, from within a, a subwoofer, right? Like, so if I had two, if I had a uh, a dual cabinet, right? Uh, the the having two drivers in it is going they're going to couple and they're going to add more dbspl to the to the uh box itself right and but but it depends on also how a box is made right because if a box is made with uh certain types of ports right Mm. yeah the ports are just like the holes uh at the at the back of the speaker or the front well you can have you can have them travel either way right you could have them travel in the and have the air escape out of the back or out of the front, and depending upon how those are designed, uh, will greatly affect the way the box responds with it with its frequency, especially. And even just adding, like, I mean, it's amazing the physics that go into to like designing speakers. It's still like for me, I'm I'm still kind of learning that whole aspect of it because I'm I'm more so doing like sound DSP sound design things like that, like toward the end of it. And I come from more of a uh, from a studio field, you know. Do like you know, I did music for ten years. I you know, I toured doing uh, you know bass music in in North America for a long time, and and uh, doing a lot of like engineering and mastering and things like that. So going into this going into this field and learning just like uh, how different you can change the sound of a box just by uh, moving up like a physical piece in front of it. Uh, is pretty cool, like just to see like what you can do by just oh, what if I take this different material and then test the speaker again. So we do the way the way we do a lot of tests with speakers with loudspeakers in general is uh, by playing sweeps through them. So it's mm-hmm. it's actually not as interesting as being able to sit and listen to music all day. There's a lot of right. just pink noise and sweeps, and we do. Um, it's called. We it, should, uh, uh, explain those things too. So. Yeah. Pink noise is just full frequency noise and you're obviously playing that through the speaker to make sure you're hitting all of the frequencies so you can measure all of the frequencies of the speaker. And a sweep is just a sweep from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz for the exact same reason kind of, right? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. So like a pink, uh, I would say like a pink noise, well, there's there's a lot of different types of noises, but like a pink noise is the a balanced amount of energy through the human hearing spectrum per octave. Mm-hmm. And and white noise would be more per frequency amount of energy, um, which which is cool. And they're like some of the most like when it comes to like writing music, they're two of the most useful things if you ask me, for mm-hmm. for being able to to um, 
to, to like you can use them and you can also use them as like analysis tools. They're they're I mean, I love I love using them for that. Um, and I love at like adding them to percussive elements too, to, uh, in right. production to, to, I mean, it, it, there's nothing better than being able to have like something that, you know, is going to cut through every part of the hearing spectrum mm-hmm. added as a transient in the background of a percussive hit. Right. right? Yeah, I think all that high frequency energy, it's like how, it's how we perceive like energy in music, almost like subs and really high frequencies, I think. And uh, mixed in key works this way. Like I, I did a test one day to try and get the energy level to 10. And it turned out the thing that would allow me to get the energy level to 10 in mixed in key was just turning my hi-hats up a lot. Really? And and just putting, yeah, tons of like white noise on shit and distorting things. And it, I, That's interesting. So I, so they have a thing in mixed in key that, that basically measures like a energy level and kind of just like algorithmically mm-hmm. tells you like, oh, this is like oh, a certain level. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I, I've always, I, I haven't used mixed in key. I usually, what I do is I'll just do relative key. I'll just play something on a piano and find like the root key of like whatever, whatever song it is. Mm. Um, but I've never used any of those other features. Those are really cool. Although I do know that yeah. a lot of producers guys will use just record box or Serato and they'll, They'll look at the waveform itself, and they'll look at the the color and the shape of it to kind of get an idea if uh, if they you know like the way it looks, which I think is interesting. I never used a- the energy level in mixed and key. I just I don't care about it. Um, I just was curious as to like what it was measuring, and it was measuring high frequencies. And also, whenever I'm like, oh man, this track's like not hitting hard enough, and like it doesn't, you know, the sub is hitting where it should be, and all that kind of stuff. Um, then I'm always like, oh, I should just add hi-hats or something or, or cymbals or like uh, white noise. And then usually I'm like, all right, that's like, cl- it sounds like very clear now and like everything sounds defined just because you know, a hi-hat, like a good hi-hat in a track will make such a difference. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Although I, like for me, I've been finding that I, I start rolling them off more now. Like I used to roll them off lower, like 6K and now I'm finding I'm rolling them off like even like almost a 10K sometimes, like depending upon the track. Uh, just to make room for some of the like more delicate stuff at the at top of like, you know, like the synth mud pie like sound or something. Mm, gotcha. Um, yeah, that's a, that's interesting actually. Yeah, like if you take all of your top symbols and stuff and cut the the high frequencies out of them, which is kind of counterintuitive, it leaves room for like maybe the like snappy transient of the kick to have like its own space up there and stuff, doesn't it? that's true yeah you could do that yeah absolutely i mean for me though i'm I'm saying like i'm rolling them off like even i i like doing them higher i what well sometimes what i'll do is when i'm listening to a track at like the final mastering stages i'll just take like on the master eq and and do a high pass and really go up to the top like around i don't know like maybe like even 5k and up and just listen to see like if I can hear where the kick drum like do I hear the kick drum do I I mean obviously is this usually it's is the snare too loud in this area because <laughs> is the snare too snappy right um, that's why I, I tend to like to use pink noise more so on a kick drum if I'm what layering is, uh, it. As, what is your artist name by the way? Woof Axe. Woof Axe like W O O F A X F A X yeah. Oh, uh, I, I'll have to check yeah, it out I, after the call. Um, 
I I used to uh, I used to be the songwriter for Terra Vida, which uh, you probably uh, heard of. Yeah, uh, interesting. So wait, wait Terra Vida. I, I met um, one guy once at a show um, who was from Terra Vida. He's like a tall yeah. dude. They're um, both yeah. The two other guys are tall dudes. I they're both tall. Um, yeah. They're so both wait. over six feet. I was the short guy in it up until 2015. <laughs> Uh, I've, yeah, I founded, I founded that group of those guys. Uh, we split around, we split in 2015. Um, and, uh, then I started working for PK about a year after that, but, uh, always continued to write music. Um, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't obviously, you know, not everybody, band, bands have, have, uh, dramatic, uh, breakup sometimes we didn't have the best breakup uh but uh after a little bit of like kind of online online fighting and online posting of things i just you know decided they're just let them do their thing and they're just letting me do my thing and we kind of just walked our separate ways and and they're kind of doing a totally different thing now uh i'm i'm really not they're what they're focused on musically and genre wise isn't the same kind of thing I'm really focused on. Uh, I'm more looking at what the future holds for 80 to 90 BPM bass music, and that's kind of the stuff that I'm making. Um, and I think they're still more like kind of focused on, like I think they're on Disciple Records now, and and uh, they're making tracks with Figure and, and doing that kind of thing. Um, but I just decided to kind of just let music, the I'll let the music speak for itself and. And kind of see where see what that takes where that takes things, um, but uh, it, it's always strange to have a thing that you were in for so long and have it grow as like a project. And it's, I mean, it, you know, it's your baby. It's your it's like a plant you've grown into a tree, and then kind of just walk away from it. It's a, it's a little <laughs> it's a little weird. I mean, somebody um, did that in Ganja White Night. Yeah, you know? Ganja White Night used to be three people. No, oh really? Two. Yeah, yeah. They, oh. I think the other guy left pretty early though, like 2010 or something like that. Um, but yeah, he must be spewing now. They're selling out like the biggest shows ever. <laughs> I mean, for me, I've I've always I've always found that like as long as I can keep making the important thing is making music. So as long as I can keep making music and expressing myself, I, I don't really care if I'm doing it for a living or not. Um. Uh, I think and, it's almost better in some ways, right? To have like your financial security not necessarily uh, hinge on the music you're making because I feel like that can af like affect it a lot. Like absolutely. If, you're, if you're like, oh man, I need to like make rent this month and therefore I need to like play a bunch of shows and the shows in my local area are all rhythm shows, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I want to do music for a living. Then I mean the equation in your head starts to go like, well, maybe I should make rhythm music, right? Like even though I don't maybe necessarily want to focus on that long term or like think that that's the coolest shit right now or anything like that it's very easy i think to to be allured in some way like that and, and then be like well now i'm a fucking rhythm producer i guess <laughs> absolutely yeah and and on top of that it's also like when when you have a market that's oversat even though there's one thing that's selling you just end up inevitably having having a very oversaturated market for whatever that style is Right, and then you're just kind mm -hmm. of adding to that pool, and then you're kind of fighting to be heard in this noise, whereas right. you're not necessarily even being true to like what you want want to do and want to make. You know, there was a time when I really, really was infatuated and and 
interested in, uh, like, extremely interested in North American bass music in the dubstep kind of era, realm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's different. It's so different now for me. Like, like go, like thinking about the stuff that I I want to listen to now compared to like what it was back in like 2010. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that happens to everybody. I mean, you evolve as, uh, as a person and like what your interests are really. Um, I, I mean, wh- how do you feel like from what you were listening to in 2010, what do you think? <clears throat> so in 2010, I would have been listening to, I think a lot of Psytrance and Square Pusher and Aphex Twin and, um, yeah, a bit of metal, uh, there really wasn't even that much like glitch hop at that time. I mean, uh, the closest thing probably would have been Tipper. Um, mm. So, what's yeah, your was, what's your favorite Aphex Twin album? Uh, I mean, I probably just got to say Drugs, right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> Dr- I, 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 that's I, a how tough do you one. Pronounce it Dr- drugs. drug use. Drug. I think it's supposed <laughs> to be like drug drug use, isn't it? Someone told me that once that it's supposed to be drug yeah. use, like drug use. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. That's like one of those. Everything with RDJ is like it's kind of like <laughs> veil, veil of veil of like mystery. Like what what does it really mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's just what happens when you you know hold such a veil over yourself. Like the same with Tipper, right? It's like a lot of UK producers are like this. You know, like uh, Scope is also kind of like this. He just uh, they're just quiet people they're, they're not like yeah. very they don't like get on the internet and flaunt a ton um and i i'm such a massive scope fan too like i i just stumbled he's, upon he's insane. scope insane just yeah, like one of the best like i've worked with him on i worked with him on a track in 2014 and then again for my album last year and he just keeps getting better man like he's just he's one of those people who who will just figure out the most clever tricks and you'll be like fuck like why i never thought to do that but i've been using that tool for years and like yeah um but yeah I, I, have you Go heard on. any of scopes like like more like ghetto funk stuff i was like amazed yeah. about how good that was like because i listened to scope in more of like a bass music i think like more i heard more of like scopes like halftime stuff first but then i heard some of the uh more like funky stuff and i'm like wow what a versatile guy like what a versatile artist you know right yeah he can make like the full-blown cursor kind of shit but he can also make like sticky buds music and he can also yeah. make like uh you know drum and bass at the level of fucking noisier basically <laughs> yeah yeah he's crazy That's pretty amazing that. <laughs> yeah mm. crazy absolutely but yeah we were getting it so i think uh, we we digressed super hard but i think originally we were talking about Using sweeps and pick noise to test in speakers. Yeah, correct. Ago. Yep. And uh, and and the applications for those, and uh, so so we spoke a little bit about pick noise and about how um, you know you can use that uh, as a kind of a a replacement for program stimulus. So so a lot of the times what. Um, program stimulus meaning like a song meaning basically. a meaning a song yeah yeah so so one of the things that they say is when they say program stimulus so if you're if you're playing back stuff on a loudspeaker and you want to kind of get an idea of like what an overall uh bunch of material would sound like on playback pick noise can be a rough gauge for that because right. of it it's in 
even amount of energy per octave of the human hearing spectrum. So right, it's pretty really good. Like all you're concerned with with a speaker, right, is how it responds at every frequency, not so much how your favorite scope tune sounds on there or whatever. Exactly, and yeah, and and how linear it is for for what it sounds like as la- as you get it louder, right? Like, right. is it the same? Does it perform the same uh, at at one dB SPL as it does like way louder, right? Because that's an important thing. Because um, as you move mechanical parts they might not react the same <laughs> in in mm. you know as they in one part in one amount of energy compared to another amount of energy so you want to make sure that that also responds right properly mm-hmm. uh and there there's also uh what's called sweeps and if anyone's ever used like a sonar works reference you've actually had to do this in your house uh, mm. i don't know if so you've ever used more, that. Uh, they're not really sweeps they're like chirps yeah, they're chirps. So, yeah, they're, yeah, they're actually. Uh, I think they're called. Uh, they're called D- Dirac. Actually, is that what they're called? Dirac impulses, which is huh. like uh, the the physicist Paul Dirac. I think. How do you um, spell Dirac? D i r a c. Dirac impulse. Oh, okay. It, the first thing that comes up when I type in Dirac is a mini DSP box, which I, I have one of those actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so I think that's what they're called. Actually, is is and it's and it's there. It's it's a Basically, what it's doing in 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 the audio realm is it's um, it's playing the frequency spectrum in a, with a log, logarithmic sweep, and and it will allow you to see you can create um, frequency response or what they call FFTs. They, you can see a frequency response of your box when you do this, and this is how we test can a lot we, of speakers. Can we also quickly explain FFT? But yeah, yeah. So so. It's basically like if you're the the best way to describe it is if you have a um, on Ableton you can put in spectrum, mm-hmm. right, and that will show you the the frequency spectrum of whatever signal you're putting through it, mm-hmm. and that's basically what an FFT is. It's just another. It's just that what's it fast Fourier transform. Yeah, exactly fast Fourier <laughs> transform. But basically, yeah. before that, like uh, frequency was measured slightly differently but then some dude was like or some person might have been a woman i can't remember or whoever um they figured out that uh you can like map it on a graph where the horizontal axis is frequency and the vertical axis is volume and there it's like kind of easier to see what's going on i think before that i can't remember how they were metering before that but it sucked Oh, it could have been oscilloscope. Could have been like a That's impulse it was, response. Yeah. It was yeah. an oscilloscope. Yeah. Yeah, which is measuring impulse response. Which is you can get you that you can also derive a lot of information from that. Um, and also, there's a thing called windowing, which is cutting out the amount of time you after you do the sweep uh, to make sure you're not getting a reflection in the room uh, that you're that you're sweeping in. Uh, assuming you're not using an anechoic chamber, which is basically a reflectiveless room. It doesn't the sound doesn't reflect so so nor, and normally like no people don't have access to an environment like an anechoic chamber because it's rather costly and uh, difficult to to have access to all the time so we use semi anechoic environments and um, and like for us we just uh, PK we just built a um, a new fifty thousand foot uh, square foot space we, and we just moved and rebranded and did this huge thing. Uh, where we're, we're kind of we kind of moved everything to this like a huge warehouse facility and it's awesome but I ended up having to 
rebuild all these spaces that we were used to, you know, doing our measurements in. So it, it does take a little bit of uh, time and getting used to when you're when you're so used to working in a space for several years, and then it's like, all right, we're going to move over here and we're going to change everything. And then, you know, the the responses that you've been used to looking at in the in your old space, you kind of have to look and make sure that you're. Am I is this record? You know, is the mic calibrated? Is is the room right. <laughs> set up proper? Because you're not exactly sure anymore. And the calibration um, for acoustics is insane, right? It's like you have a a little thing that looks like a um, like a silencer for a pistol, and you yep. put it on top of your microphone, <laughs> and that thing is supposed to be calibrated to put out like a 110 decibel sine wave or something like that, and then you tell your uh, whatever room EQ is it or whatever software you're using, hey, that's a 110 decibel sine wave. So Correct. calibrate yourself to that and then know <laughs> what every other decibel is that's going to come into that based on this information that I'm giving you from this piece of hardware. And then like, it just like, yeah. you just calibrate all the way down the line, basically. That's um, exactly, that's exactly what we do. Although I think the one, the, the little silencer one that I have does 94 and 124. Yeah, but you can get them all. You can get them in all different shapes and sizes. And we actually just ordered another one because if you're using, depending upon what mic you're using, they may or may not fit in that little silencer thing. You know, depending upon how big the the head of the microphone is. So I think we ended up getting another one so we could we could fit. Oh, I remember we got another one because we wanted to fit some portable SPL meters that we had because we use those just like just to check just like you know once we have like a cal the a calibrated mic we'll just make sure and double check with like other measurement devices as well but we also have to make sure those are calibrated and make sure those are doing the right thing right, too right. so you have to you, yeah, at you some point it's going. just like what calibrates the calibrator at the very end of the chain because that's the way you, you know that's make... a good question yeah like where where did we decide like I, I don't know the answer to this. Where did we decide like what started off as this is this amount of SPL? There's got to be some kind of physics measurement to this. Yeah, I mean, it's probably something like the amount of energy, air molecule. Yeah, the amount of energy like a volcano puts out or something like that. <laughs> or, or like this is equal to like, like I, I, th this is something I should probably know and look up. But like, it's, it's like, like the, the amount of sound to boil water is like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be some, it actually totally yeah. could be something like related to like a molecular thing, I think. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Yeah. Like that's actually something. I mean, obviously the, the like some of the physics side of stuff i i don't really you don't there's no real application for me in the day to day so there's a lot of stuff there that i kind of wish i could delve into more but i'm more worried about making sure that that speaker doesn't blow up as i as i <laughs> blast like i blast uh, it as loud as i possibly can and i test a, chamber a point i wanted to make earlier when you were talking about um how most of testing is making sure that a speaker can withhold like insane playback for a long period of time um, I had a friend that worked at Apple. Uh, I mean, he's st still my friend, but like, um, anyway, my friend works at Apple. He still works there. And um, he was telling me on the the new iPhone 13s, I think this was actually even on the iPhone 12s, um, they had to put like a, like a limiter basically on the speakers because they're capable of going so loud that they will just like melt shit in the phone. Like <laughs> yeah. they'll, just, they'll just heat up and just start melting components. 
Absolutely, I can crazy. see that. And the, like, I don't know if you have an iPhone 13, but if you've like cranked it, the speaker on it is crazy. It's wow. not like putting out a ton of sub, but like here, I'll show you. Like, um, I'll just like open up something on, uh, I'll open up one of my tracks just in case the episode gets flagged. I can at least whitelist this on YouTube. Um, yeah, let's see here if I crank this. It's like, like a pretty loud speaker. It's pretty loud. And this is on Spotify, actually. I think like if you open YouTube, there's no noise uh, reduction thing. Um, yeah, here, let me open this. Is this going to play? Yeah. It's like hard to tell exactly, but yeah, it's... It's a lot louder than than you would expect. I think. I I, I believe that, you know, I've se I've seen so many things heat up, like it, especially like a transducer heating up, uh, you know, as a driver, just like creating that kind of energy. Because um, if you put it in different, like you know, when we do like we'll, we'll do prototype tests, we'll see how like how. How intense can we, you know, make this go? Like before we we you know run into something that that causes an issue. Because you also have to remember too that these are operating for like you know when we do we'll do like the you know, PK will do the base pod at EDC or something, right? And it's on the Las Vegas uh, Speedway there, and it's like you know plus forty or, or sorry like a hundred you know Fahrenheit, right? Mm. And and. Which, uh, uh you have to like take into account that sound travels at different speeds in different temperatures, right? Yeah, not not like not like crazy different, but yeah, it absolutely does, absolutely. Um, and uh, and it just, but also just the amount of like, <laughs> it's not like they're like you know most speakers aren't even covered; they're standing in like some kind of array. There's you know they're being they're they're flown on like a you know structures on the stage and. And uh, they're completely exposed to a lot of elements, so so that's a huge kind of important thing that uh, you have to take into account is not just making something, but making something robust enough where it can withstand that. And there's a, there's been a huge, I think even even in the past, like since since even when PK started, I think there's been a huge upscale with the RMS level of like everything in in music like even though there's even though we have you know i mean everyone talks about loudness wars but one of the things that i don't think a lot of people talk about in loudness wars is the effect it has on equipment um yeah. not that i'm advocating for or against loudness i in, in fact <laughs> i've had a lot of discussions regarding how the aesthetic of a lot of new electronic music you is is heavy compression and you need that like you can't totally. make you and can't you make could. metal without sorry go ahead I was gonna say you could apply all that compression and then turn your master down by twelve dB and render it, but like, why would you? Well, yeah, because it's just gonna end up getting turned up anyway it's gonna when sound you go the on same. the system, and yeah, it's gonna exactly. sound yeah. So and well and you can't make exactly exactly. And I I'd, someone someone actually was trying to convince me one time that like the top there's more there's like the way the bits are like. I, can I explain this a little bit just so in case yeah, oh, yeah. in case I haven't explained this already um, there's two like sort of numbers that you're worried about with file rendering one of them is sample rate and the other one is bit depth 
uh, sample rate is like how many samples per second can exist in the file digitally. And you basically want that to be two times the highest frequency you want to be able to hear as per the Nyquist theorem. And in terms of bit depth, that's essentially just how much uh, possible volumes your, or how much possible gain intervals or amplitude intervals the file can be. Uh, so if you have a file that's so, one bit, it can only so, be completely quiet or completely loud, right? Yeah, someone explained it to me like um, it was like the best way to visualize it is rungs on a ladder mm -hmm. where you could have a ladder that is 10 feet high, but it could have five steps in it or it could have 25 steps in it, right? Right. So you have a better resolution of where you want to sit in that mm -hmm. same, same amount, same distance up, but it's just you have a better res resolution of where you want to sit in that. That's a great analogy actually to like teach somebody this concept. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, the point I was trying to make, because um, I just kind of skimmed over it and then realized that's actually a good point, I think, for people to know. No, no, absolutely. When, when you're rendering a, um, a track out, there actually is an advantage to rendering it out at zero decibels versus negative 10 decibels or whatever, just to like hit a certain RMS or whatever. Um, and that reason is because uh, in, the, in your analogy, if you render it out at negative 10 dB on a ladder that has 25 rungs, you're just rendering it out at like rung 10. And it's like, why not just yeah. use the other 15 rungs? Yeah. And someone was actually, and I, I think this is, this is, I don't know if this is correct or not, like, but I think someone, someone was trying to explain to me dithering and how like the rungs get further apart at the lower sections of the ladder or something. I don't no, know if this so is true. Dithering is literally just good noise to mask bad noise. That's all Okay, it is. yeah. So yeah. when you render out a file, uh, there's always going to be quantization errors. So mm -hmm. basically those quantization errors sound like distortion and uh, a little bit of uh, white noise or pink noise. So like let's say you have um, like the best way to explain this is let's say uh, using the ladder thing again um, that you have a 25 rung ladder and the quantization errors are like just two rungs big, you know, like they're very small. Um, basically what dither would be would be pink noise that sits at three rungs the entire time. So it just like masks the quantization errors because your brain is not going to be able to pick out one little bit of distortion against like a whole lot of distortion. But it's also yeah. so quiet that like it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's that's the like I was because I was asking someone about this because this is like kind of like I'm not super like familiar with exactly how that worked and I was talking to someone about this and and they were kind of explaining the same thing about how like because our noise floor is so so uh, low in like a lot of digital stuff that it like sometimes you don't even need to dither because no, you, it, you it, absolutely don't like if you don't dither nobody's going to be like oh man that's undithered that sounds like shit like there's <laughs> yeah. there's no way like uh, impossible and you could yeah you could turn dithering off in Ableton never turn it on again and you'll be fine yeah yeah it's kind of I mean I think what do you think about this you think like if someone were to send you stems for mastering right and and you were doing a bunch of processing on them would you still want them at a minimum of 24-bit, though? I, I would want them at 32-bit. And the reason yeah. why is because... If well, obviously... Any, sorry, sorry, it, yeah, yeah. 
Go ahead. Yeah, the, the reason why is because, um, again, like decibels, bit depth works exponentially, right? So it's like, I think with 24-bit, you have like 24 million possibilities of volume that that um, a thing can be or 24 million rungs on a ladder. Um, but in 32-bit, you have like fucking billions. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's billions. I don't know. It's a, some crazy large number. But any, anyway, uh, the point is that because that number is so large, uh, you can clip the hell out of your stems. Yeah. You can you can clip them by something like 60 dB or something. And so long as uh, they get rendered out as 32-bit and you re-import them into a 32-bit environment, you can just turn the clips down and then you retain yeah. like all the dynamics. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I remember you doing, you did something a long time ago where you were turning channels up by 60 dB trying yeah. to find... <laughs> Where they were clipping the distortion point, yeah. It's, uh, the distortion point, it's, uh, yeah. It's sixty-two dB in Ableton. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, someone, sh someone showed me that video. That was actually, I think, the first time that I heard about you. Oh, nice. <laughs> was that? And then the other time I think was um, a friend of mine in Vancouver. Uh, Long Walk Short Doc is his artist. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, like, I love that yeah. guy. Is it Dave? Dave, yeah, yeah. yeah um, he's awesome. He's a he's a great artist he's really awesome and yeah, he, he he's, um he's a strange dude he does like the strange crazy shit he, you know I, the thing is i don't find it that strange the more i listen to it the more i don't find it that strange <laughs> like it's just i'm just more like well this is this I is guess a, what i mean it, is like against the norm it's very not normal uh, compared to like everything else you would see on a festival lineup generally he's like usually no I, yeah yeah i see what you're one. saying yeah yeah it's not homogenous uh, <laughs> no, but I, that's what I love about him. And his is yeah. he's got like a crazy um analog collection of of synths mm -hmm. uh which is awesome. I I've, I've uh I got him to do a bunch of just like synth noise recordings for me for for a project I did. I try to do this I do this weird thing every Halloween where I try to do an audio drama album where mm -hmm. I I write an album but I also write a story to go along with it. Cool. It's like usually a short horror story, uh, and it's kind of like like I don't know. I, I love the No Sleep podcasts. <laughs> I listen to I listen to a lot of like short horror ghost stories and stuff. But I but I try to do this like concept album. I, I last time I did one, I was like, hey, can you can you just go and just give me some samples from like analog gear of just like like just like little like weird noises and and like little like arpeggiations and stuff. So, uh, so I incorporated a bunch of those in, in the last album. He, he was really awesome and helpful having me do that. But he's the one that told me about you. He was, oh, I think, awesome. yeah, uh, and, and spoke very highly of you. I think him and, and Ill Gates as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think um, yeah. Dylan actually lives back in Vancouver now. He was living in L.A. for a while. Yeah, he was. He's just, uh, I think he's just finishing up a, a new album right now. Yep. Yeah, he sent it to me. Yeah. It sounded pretty good. Yeah. And you you have one on there too, don't you? Uh, we did. I we pulled it off though because um, he was like the album has to be finished by like tomorrow, and I was like, dude, our track is like not done. And oh. He was like, I think it's pretty, it's fine. And I was like, fine's not good enough. Like it needs to be insane. Uh, so what, what are your levels like as far as like when you're finishing something? How 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 do you know it's like ready for you? Like what feeling do you get? Oh, there's a few feelings. Um, one is that like I generally like start to dislike it. 
like I start to think like, fuck, this is like wrong in all the ways and, and stuff like that. Like if uh, Hero Bus said something interesting to me on a podcast a while ago and I'd never really thought about stuff this way. But after like he said that, I, I notice it a lot actually. And that is that um, if, I, if he was like, man, if I feel like I've really nailed it, I know that like it's not done because <laughs> it just means you haven't like worked on it long enough basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I've noticed that actually. I've noticed um, when I first make something, like you, when you first get the riff and you're like, that's it. Like um, you're like, this is sick. But then the more you listen to it, like if you just rendered it right then and there and like put it away as a WAV file and listen to it like a month later, you'd be like, oh, it needs this, it needs that. Like you have a bunch of opinions on it then. But um. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, so, I've, I've had that same, that same thing happen to me for sure. Right. Well, so I'm that's, like, this is great. I did it. It's t- four hours. I'm all done. And then like <laughs> you put it away for like a week and then you listen to you're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Dude, there's been one <laughs> exception to this rule and it was my track Pleasure Seeker. I literally wrote it in like 45 minutes and it's just people are fucking with it super hard and it's just, it's simple. It just works. And it was one of those ones where I was like, this is sick. I put it away and I was like, oh, I know for sure if I come back to this like in months time or you know, a couple of months time, I'll know what it needs to be finished. And every time I came back to it, I was just like, I don't know what I would add to this. And then I was just like, it just feels like, you know, I made it too quickly. It doesn't feel like it must be good because I made it too quickly. So yeah. I was just like, I'll just put it on like the end of my podcast as like the podcast outro tune or something. You know, it's just like a beat. Um, and then people kept asking like, dude, what the fuck is that song at the end of your podcast? <laughs> and then I was like, um, I got asked about it like more than any other tune. Like I was getting asked about it like five times a day. I was crazy. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll put it out. And yeah, it's like one of my most, it's the most popular tune on the album by far. <laughs> it's awesome. See, that's, it's funny. Cause like, I definitely know what you mean by like putting, like making something and then going. Oh man, like you almost give you give you give the tune you made imposter syndrome. You're like, there's no way this can be done. Like, yeah, well, you know what I mean. I have a theory about this. I think it's because we live in a capitalist society and we put a lot of value on effort. You know, like ah. the the harder something is, the longer you had to study, the yeah. harder the, you had the, to work the, to buy the yeah. The more thing. your nose was to the grindstone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and because of that. Um, I think we just carry that over into creative endeavors now too, which is just not how creativity works. It's, it's absolutely not, not. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, and it's also just not how uh, music taste works, you know, because if that were the case, um, you know, artists who just spent the longest time on their music would be revered by the most people, but it's just not, it's not <laughs> it's how it works. Not. Yeah, I, well, you know, there's also the the whole concept of, of the you know ten thousand hours and mastery of something, it's like you know maybe writing that song. If you added in all the failed attempts of making something like that beforehand, that if it's it's okay if this one piece of creation that you make comes out quickly because you spent all this time learning and preparing beforehand. With right. failed attempts. <clears throat> right. The reason know? I could make Pleasure Seeker in 45 minutes is because I made a bunch of dog shit tracks in 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. Or you worked on that kick drum. Like I remember working on kick drums for like a day, you know, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, right? Where you just, you end up getting lost in something that it will never even be completed because it's just, it just doesn't necessarily have the right foundation or whatever, right? 
Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's also why specialized skill sets pay way higher by the hour, right? Like if you're a, like an insane programmer or something like that, you like, I know I was living in SF for a while and some of the programmers there, I, I would ask them like, how much would you charge me per hour if I like wanted to, you know, hire you freelance to do some work on my website? And they're like, oh, I don't know, like minimum 1200 an hour. It's like 1200 bucks an hour. That's insane. And they're like, that's what I value my time at. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you're not just paying for their time right then. You're paying it for exactly. all the experience that they had before. You, right? You're paying yeah. them to go through fucking MIT and do a PhD and like all this <laughs> crap. It's like, yeah. you're, you're paying for like a lot of mathematics that they had to learn and like a lot yeah. of they basically you know never partied they just maths 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 and like <laughs> oh well I, I used to live in boston some of those mit guys you'd be surprised they party pretty hard right are they the like ones hey i just like, went i was just in the chem lab i just made this thing you want to try it no. oh my god is that real <laughs> Uh, I, I, that did happen to me once, but I don't know if they were, if they were kidding or not. It was at a point, it was at like oh a house God. party. I'm not sure if that, but they did say that to me. So I, I don't know. Damn, <laughs> are you, dude. so are you on the East coast now? Yeah. I live in Virginia now. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, I moved from San Francisco to Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh, all right. I had no, we, I, I thought you were still in San Francisco. That's yeah. I had like some life implosion shit happened that and that's why the podcast actually hasn't happened for a while because i was uh i was like oh no my life is imploding and then i was like all right it's imploded and then i'm like all right now i live in virginia i gotta reset up the studio it's like a lot of crazy shit that i'm just not quite ready to share publicly yet but, no no um, no that's yeah. fine you don't have to i mean i I'll, i could talk about my experience rather if you want to don't want to i mean i i had my life kind of imploded as well about five years ago when i left Teravita. And so I had to kind of do a full reset where I was in, I was living in LA and then, you know, doing, I was a touring musician for 10 years and just, just doing mixing and mastering was, you know, that kind of thing. But I had a really good, uh, you know, relationship with PK and, and I had, you know, I obviously had been doing about 20 years of critical listening work and, and working with, with audio. So, um, I had a really, you know, having a really good relationship with them, uh, and getting it, you know, getting to work with them and just saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing music now. I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, you know, start pursuing something else. And, and, um, you know, they, they were really helpful and, and really trustworthy of me. And, you know, I've been, I've been a PK for about six and a half years now, but there was always a, there was always a, uh, th that risk of an implosion in the beginning there of like, what am I doing? I'm shifting everything and, mm. you know, rebuilding my life and everything. It was, it was a rather scary thing to do. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you seem like a pretty resourceful guy and I, I hope, you know, I hope everything works out for you. I think it will. It's fine. I think, yeah. I'll, um, I think just due to so many years of touring, That'll make you very resourceful, but it'll also make you like very uh, tolerant to immediate and crazy changes, I think. <laughs> like Adaptation. Uh, yeah, it makes you very like malleable and, and tolerant of just like completely, complete situation changes. Because so many times on the road, it's like, oh, fuck, my flights are all canceled and now I'm in you know, Washington or whatever the state or some shit for like the next week or two days or whatever. <laughs> now I have yeah. to like stay on hold with the airline company and like buy fucking new clothes and like they lost yeah. my bags and like all this kind of yeah. shit. Like I've dealt yeah. with it just hundreds of times now. So it's at this point when I'm like, oh, a giant change where I have to like move all of my crap and like I can't write music for a 
bit. And I'm just like, hold oh. my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the one thing that I'm really happy about in my life, and I hope this reflects as well true to you, is that regardless of what I have going on externally, I always still have the kind of music thing to uh, to kind of escape to. I, I remember along <clears throat> there were periods of time where I'd, I'd go through relationships or I'd go through big changes, and I was always I'd, I'd watch other people have this go through similar things, and then they'd be like, "I can't, I can't write music. I can't, you know, I'm not inspired." Mm-hmm. And I've I've always kind of found that that's like the one rock. That's like the one thing that I can hide myself and like do that still. Right? Yeah, I mean, I I find personally um, writing music to just be very cathartic, but also like uh, a great distraction from feelings. Sometimes it's it's a a great way to like let your feelings out, but it's also a great way I think to just be like, I'm not gonna fucking make presets in this synth, you know, mindless sound design for a few hours or whatever, and and then you get sucked into a synth. It's like you're not thinking about your feelings at that point. You're you're just like one with the fucking phase plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you use faceplant. See, because I, like I've talked to so many people that are, are like, I like, I love faceplant. I think it's great. And and I've it's talked to people that are like synth. I mean, like, yeah. how, how is it not? It I think people ha- are just might be intimidated a little bit. For sure, because it's like it's insane. Like, there's so much going on in it. Uh, but it sounds just as good as Serum for sure. Like if you take like a Serum oscillator and a phase plan oscillator, do the same kind of filtering and same kind of envelope curve and everything. It's like you can get it as snappy and similar. Uh, I, I on, personally on, like it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep. I was going to say, but then on top of that, it's like with Serum effects, you just have like 10 effects. With phase plan, you have literally unlimited effects. And yep. sound design, in my opinion, is all about processing because there's only so far you'll get with any wavetable and like any mixture of audio rate modulating another oscillator or using fucking FM to do something. Like there's only so yeah. far a, a sound can go that way. So I, I think people people get stuck too much on that like first bit of the process where they're like, oh, I FM'd this thing or like I added this and this together and then FM'd it. Or so. It's like, who cares? Like if that makes a fucking dog shit that, that's sound a good massive. foundation that's exactly, a good foundation right. to then add processing to it if you ask me right. yeah i'm i'm kind of the same way especially when i'm doing like long mud pie stuff like the only thing i wish i could do in phase plant <clears throat> is add is, is be able to embed rift in it because i love rift mm. so much now I don't, I don't know if you use rift at all yeah but, i do um i don't use it a ton but uh i i made presets for it um oh you did I, yeah, so they, uh, a bunch of artists did, but they didn't name them as such. Like they didn't name uh, them like Mr. Bill preset and blah, blah, blah yeah. preset. They instead just like paid people to make them and then just um, named them all like after the categories that they were in. Yeah. Are you are you allowed to say which ones you made? Uh, I actually don't know. They renamed them, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I've, I, worked, I've worked for some companies where they – they were like, don't say that you worked on this. <laughs> like, oh, right. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll send you send the presets I made. If yeah. You, if you're like yeah. a big fan of Rift. I, I love Rift. Yeah. I did. Well, see, the only, the only time I've ever really gotten like credit on something is they, they put my, uh, I, they did put my artist name after me on, on the original stutter edit, Isotope stutter edit. Mm. I did. Oh, cool. I did the, I did presets in that. And they put the art. They put the artist names after. So we, I did have a few banks in that one, but there, there's other ones that I've worked on where 
that I'm not, they're, they're not allowed to, I'm not allowed to say hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. Or right, right. Yeah. But they, they, or they'd rather, they'd rather it not be public knowledge, I guess. Why? But, uh, That's so weird. Well, just like, you know, we, it's just co- company policies and stuff. You know, you, you just, it's, you know, it's not my product. I have to respect what they, what they say, but at no, the same totally. time. Don't say the benefit. I don't need, well, yeah, neither do I. Cause like, I mean, it's like, it's just all it is, is br- it's like more branding for them. Like, it's more like, Hey, look at what we, <laughs> you know, look, look I'm going to advertise your product as well because I worked on it, you know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, but, exactly. but I guess, I don't know. It's everybody's got their own, you know, people want to be in control of their brand. And I, I definitely understand that, you know, um, especially in the, you know, the age of like social media and things like that, where, where things can be completely miscommunicated and stuff like that, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. Um, cool, man. Well, hey, we should wrap up, I think, because um, it's been about an hour. Uh, and although people often ask me to do longer episodes, I find um, you can check the like analytics and shit and see where people start tapering off with listening anyway. <laughs> and it's like the people who are making it to the end are few and far between, it seems. Of course, um, yeah. I mean, if there's any other, do you have any other questions you want to ask or anything? I, I kind of wanted to get a little bit into like how speaker design is essentially just like very small room acoustics and like go down that thought path, which let, let's go down it actually. That sounds fun. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So you wanted to know basically um, if you're uh, the way that we're doing box tuning is kind of what, kind of what it sounds like you're describing box tuning versus room tuning. Right. Right. So like with a room yeah. tune, uh, you, oh, actually, no, you know what I want to ask? I don't want to ask about that. I want to ask about um, the snailed coils, like the snailed horns inside the sub boxes. Oh, uh, horn, horn loaded subs. Yes. And is this, yes. Yeah. Uh, is this just a PK thing or do lots of people do this or is that? Oh, a, this is a huge industry thing, right? Is, because is it's this just something it's a, that PK really s- invented or no? Oh, uh, no, no, there's, um, the, the, the patents we have for that kind of stuff. I mean, the, I think the, the coolest thing to look at with PK has, as far as like sound directionality and stuff is our robotic line array, which, 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 the Trinity Trinity and, uh, yeah. And the, um, the Trinity family, um, we we should describe that at some point and what that does. (laughs) Yeah. So basically it's, it's a pretty simple physical concept where, uh, when you're hanging a large scale line array. Uh, you have to change the you ha- you have the an angle for vertical and horizontal directionality, mm-hmm. um, and this has to do with the way that sound works. Like uh, just the way it would work if you had like light laser beams pointing at mirrors, things reflect right, and it's really easy to picture a laser beam in a mirror because you can see the laser beam hitting and bouncing off and changing direction. Mm-hmm. But sound will do this. Sound will also bounce off objects and get absorbed in certain frequencies depending on what the object is. There's a lot of things that, there's a lot of different factors that change the way sound will uh, propagate in a room. However, we have the ability with our robotic line arrays to steer the sound with using our horn flares, which are the horizontal angles. So for example, if you were, were shooting uh, something in it, like picture like a cone that's moving out like 120 degrees, we can narrow that angle so it's not bouncing off the wall and going directly into the venue. Mm-hmm. We also have the ability to 
move the line arrays vertically. So, um, it, you know, usually you'll see, I guess, traditionally, uh, uh, you'll see like a J shape in, in like a line array. Right, so like they kind of come down yeah. and like bend on the sort of. Exactly. And, and so we can use uh, our robotic line arrays to uh, change things like, you know, usually, usually what happens traditionally is you have to use room prediction software mm -hmm. to kind of, to get an idea of where you want to hang and, uh, move the arrays. So they point in, point in the proper direction, mm -hmm. uh, with the robotic line array, if there is any kind of like changing mitigating factor or something that changes in the venue, you can move it immediately and aim things, uh, the way that they're supposed to. So you can get very, very finite. You don't have to pull the array down and rehang it with different pins or anything mm -hmm. like that. You can move it using our software and it will angle exactly where you need it to go. Dude, that's so um, sick. It, it's, it's really awesome. It's really fun to, to I wish like work on that. my loudspeakers in here. I, have the, I just upgraded to the key threes from the MM27s. And um, I like a big thing, obviously, like is when you're sitting in the mixed position, getting the toe in right. Uh, mm -hmm. which yeah. toe-in just means the angle of the speakers basically and I fucking wish that my stands were robotic so I could just sit here and just like angle them in and then be like that's the spot like stay there because I, <laughs> yeah. I have to keep getting up walking around my desk like literally like thumbing it like shifting it like the tiniest bit and then sitting back down and going like all right the stereo is popping a little harder now and stuff yeah the, the sweet spot changes right yeah. <laughs> absolutely you're like yeah. all right that's yeah. like the good center image and the good stereo and then you're like but could I get it better and then you go fuck with it again sit down you're like no it's worse again and <laughs> it's the ever-ending struggle to it get really like the is, perfect dude. stereo. I often, yeah. I, I honestly fuck with them like almost every day. It's crazy. But uh, but yeah, oh, horn-loaded subs though. Before we before I forget here, yes, uh, you were asking about those uh, horn-loaded subs, mm -hmm. which uh, are like. Uh, so from my understanding, and and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm interested to know more about it. Is that uh, essentially the the theory or the concept behind it is that um, lower frequencies take uh, like a physical like a distance. To propagate properly, right? Like a, I want to say like a thirty hertz sub or something like that. It takes like fucking ten meters until that like sine wave or that sub until the cycles wave, until the, the one cycle has completed. Yeah, yeah. So, so from what I understand, the idea is that um, you have like a snailed coil uh, or a snail. The horn that you see out the front goes into like a snail kind of shape inside the box uh, and then hooks into the driver. And then that way the sub has already traveled like six or seven meters before it even exits the speaker. Is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. So the air, so what's happening is you're giving it more of a, a more air distance before it's traveling out. You can do this on any like like our for example, like we like our the twelves on our, our line array are, are are slightly uh slightly horn loaded. We have a little bit of a distance there. But uh, it, it's as simple as like um the way you would the way you would uh like you know talk like normally and then i but if i cut my hands up if i cut mm. my hands i start getting like a little louder right right and also it, you're just like creating a horn you're, you're you're creating a horn well yeah and that's actually the argument against horn loading for a lot of things because you are adding like uh, like coloration to the it's sound like filtering you do that it, yeah yeah, you are. But you are also adding amplification to the sound as well. Mm. So as long as you have the the artifacts that you're adding in by physically horn loading something dialed in, you can use that as an application. And it and it does work very successfully in a lot of different Dude, uh I just had a crazy idea. Would what's it this? would it make sense to just make speakers modeled after the human head? Uh, well, or modeled after like, like just build like a head sculpture 
and just have the horn coming out of the mouth, but like not a horn because I mean the whole front plate of the speaker would just be a face. And like, <laughs> how big are we talking? How big of a head are we talking? I mean, like, like an actual human-sized head? No, no, no. Or, I mean, in the studio maybe, but like live, bigger. You know, same as like you know, in the studio you have some like near-field monitors, and live you have like bigger speakers. Same, same deal. Well, so you you you'd make like the. I see what you're saying. So make it like a round shape. Yeah, like make it like a human, just make it look exactly like a human head with ears and like even hair maybe and everything. And like basically it would just have like the acoustic properties of a human head producing the voice, which for a mid-range driver might be like perfect, right? For Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, for a mid-range driver, that would work great. Like right, right. where human Like human tweeters, tweeters, you might want to model after a bird. And then <laughs> subs, you might want to model after like, I don't know. A uh, whale? Yeah, exactly. It's like a larger animal. <laughs> Dude, imagine Some large this. animal. I had a friend who was studying that and he was telling me this like really interesting thing about whales, about how they, they, they actually have this like temperature level in the water hmm. where, where it's like, it's not too low in the water, but not too high in the water. It's right where this like this like band or something where that where like the water gets like a certain temperature and that's where they kind of go up to and communicate on this band and i guess it makes their voices travel further because right. the, the temperature traps like it's kind of like a string on a cup on a string so to speak i'm just looking up the decibels that they give out i feel like i i Looked at this. Um, yeah, so white tooth whales use a sonar that may generate up to twenty thousand watts of sound. Isn't that crazy? Jeez, that's like that how, crazy. like as a. I don't even know what that really means. It sounds like a lot. How much is twenty thousand watts of sound? Because I know like when Excision goes on tour, they're like fifty thousand watts of PK sound. It's, it, it's like it, almost it's, that. well, it, it, it's but that's potential. That's like a potentiality of like of what you could have, right? You're like not running that shit at full capacity, right? Well, it's also it's it, yeah no, <laughs> you you don't want to all the time. I mean, it, it's like saying, well, if I play a if I play a sine tone at fifty hertz through this at full amplitude, you know what I mean? It's like you you know you can produce that, but you want you want sound to be dynamic, right? You you want like and like you, you have a potential to create like certain amount of energy, but you want it to have like you if you had a kick drum that just went uh, and didn't have any like amplitude to it, right, right, right. it wouldn't be much fun, right? Totally. So. So uh, you, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, it, there, there are, you know, I, I, I was also have to look at like, um, like I like looking at like the, the way that, like, like I think in, for me important the the important thing for me is how, not just how much bass I can have, but how dynamic the bass can be. Right. So like, how does the kick drum? Like, if I'm standing in front of a subwall, how can a kick drum? hit me in the chest like because that's a voltage thing right that's how that's like uh that's like how hard your the driver will push in and out real quick right right so i actually did this experiments once on a big system where i took uh one section of the subwall and i ran it through i was running it through this this uh front of house this digital mixer in front of house and i compressed it really really hard and then took the and another layer of the subwall and ran it through another channel but didn't compress it and then basically created this like kind of parallel compression on the subwall hmm. i don't know if it's necessarily an, like, like a good application to do you know like all the time but it was a fun experiment to see like how how much i could like 
push one one section of sub to really make it like punch and then have the other one be like really sustained. So when you had like a, an eight oh eight kick, yeah, when you have like yeah, an eight, yeah, yeah. eight you'd you'd have this like really kind of rumble, but you'd mix it like differently than you would like that dynamic yeah, hit would, of like would, the other stuff. Yeah, you would kind of turn that down and that sub would be like uh loud for a long period of time. Uh and then your other one that's not compressed as much would would just be like loud for a shorter period of time basically. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I yeah. wanted to uh, speak a little bit on um, something that Tipper's manager told me after the Red Rock show that he did recently. Um, I w was like sitting outside trying to order an Uber, and I was like, I can't find an Uber, and everyone had left Red Rocks, so I'd almost like got stuck out there because Ubers won't come out there at that time of night, you know, after a Red Rock show because mm -hmm. they're like, I don't want to fucking drive all the way out there. So um, I was like, all right, I'm going to go up to the green room and just see if anyone's here. And the only person that was left was literally Dave Vella, which is Tipper's manager. <laughs> so we jumped in the car with him and he drove us back to the city. And <clears throat> he was telling us that during that show and the one the night before that he played, which was uh, all on a Function 1 Vero, that the Function 1 Vero that they were using has like a max SPL that they were um, – a, allowed to go to, but B, could pretty much only go to, which was like something like 117 or 120 dB. Does that sound about right for a show? Uh, you mean legally, like they're saying you're only allowed to go this high or you're saying that the capacity of the box I think it, is rated? I think it was maybe both. I, I don't know. Anyway, what he told me, and this I would like, love to hear your opinion on whether or not it sounds like bullshit, is... Um, during the buildups of Tipper's tracks, they would have it like whatever, you know, the, the sound guy would be like kind of turning it down or whatever. And then as soon as they would get to like the drops, he would sort of crank the system to like as hard <laughs> as it could go without clipping. And, uh -huh. then as, and then they would just have to like get the fuck out of there by the next uh, section, like the next buildup or whatever to kind of let the drivers cool down a bit again because they were like worried <laughs> they were going to run the drivers too hot. Does this sound like bullshit or... Uh, I mean, I don't know about run, like running the drivers too hot. I mean, usually you'd you'd like blowing usually amps you'd, you'd, or something. Or? Yeah, I mean, you could you could blow, I mean, you could do that, but like I, I definitely know that a sound guy who's really paying attention to your set mm -hmm. would do something like that for you because they're that's just an awesome sound tech. Yeah. That's just a really good sound tech going. I'm going to make this as dramatic as possible for you. Yeah, but um, give like given like. Any there's any setup. I mean, you know, I don't know how that how that was routed, how that, you know, what the p kind of power they had. So it, it's very possible that there is a bunch of things that if they were running it at full capacity could have, you know, made that system not work properly. Right? Mm -hmm. It could have just been the power there. It could have been, you know, it could like I don't know if it's necessarily the 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 uh, you know the speakers themselves that are doing that, but I definitely don't think that that's bullshit. I've seen. A lot of really talented techs go. I'm in a situation. I, you know, this. There's something going not exactly as planned. I'm gonna adapt to it and make sure that the there's a really good thing happening on stage. That's actually a big, you know, and for and this is for anybody who's listening that plays a show. You wanna you wanna have a better show. Go up to your front of house guy. Introduce yourself. Be nice to them. Mm. Like that's a that's something that actually I don't think gets said enough. In, in especially with DJs, you well, know, it's hard I, to do sometimes as a DJ if you're like socially anxious. 
Um, because, That's true. Like you don't want to yeah. go out to the front of house guy and then get like pulled up by a ton of people and stuff like that. Um, and some <laughs> some days I'm incredibly socially anxious. Other days not at all. And it's just how I'm you know feeling sometimes. If you have the opportunity to do it, it's sound check. I should say. That's, like if you're yeah. doing something. Yeah, I, I usually it, do that actually. Yeah, I think, and you know what? I think it's you're you're all the smarter for it, honestly, because you you are doing something that where you have basically this person that's in between you and the sound system and they very much have the ability to make your show go better or worse. So the more it's, it's kind of like you're working with them almost. And if you can have a good rapport with them and, and understand and respect them on, especially if there's someone that works at that venue and does that all the time. uh, I think that, I think that it's a very helpful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of bands like usually for the most part tend to have to have a bit more of a relationship with those guys. Cause they have to have their, their mics and they have to have like, it's you know, a lot, a lot more things connected. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. You can't yeah. just and like so, take the band before you sort of boilerplate, uh, gain structure and settings and just apply it to your band. It doesn't really work that way. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you want to like, yeah, but with DJing, it's kind of like, oh, all right, you're watching this, you're watching this board, making sure I don't want to run, red or hurt or damage your system right so you know i've i've just had even had the experience of just going up and saying hey like you know how loud you know i'm running on a we're running a, a pioneer 900 up here how loud you know do you have it set up to run right mm. and they'll be like oh you can run it in the red no problem i have it set up on the board where you can run it that loud right, right? or they'll be like yeah if you can turn yourself down a little bit on the master I'll be able to turn you up here. You'll sound way better. It's a big trust factor thing though, right? Because like, um, for instance, uh, New Year's Eve uh, this year just been, I played a fucking massive show in Detroit. It was like 4,000 or 5,000 people. I was opening for Ganja, like direct support with um, Kill Smith as a, like we did the Kill Bill thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And in Soundcheck, they like put a piece of tape on the mixer and we're like, don't go louder than this. Um, <laughs> seen and, those, yeah. yeah and we'll like we'll respect that like we both chris and i are fa- like fairly audiophilic so we'll like we'll 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 respect that for sure um and then the guy who played before us ivy lab and then the person who played before him uh computer were just like both fucking double redlining the entire time so when oh. when we got on the stage we were like we're not going to do that we're going to like do what we said we we're going to do to the sound guy and sound check and he said he was going to like turn us up right um so we were playing we we didn't even know because we had our booths cranked and everything but like we got messages after the show from people being like oh man sucks they turned you down for the first 25 minutes of your set uh, it's like no what, they were didn't. they were they just not at <laughs> front of house did they just not like they just weren't there and didn't turn you up or they didn't i have no idea but it's like you would think at a show that size like they'd be on the on the ball when there's at least an act change or something right or oh maybe, absolutely maybe they just yeah. assume like those guys were running in the in the same level that we were going to run out or something but yeah anyway i've actually done that before too though where i'll see the guy playing before me and i'll be like oh my god <laughs> this 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 artist is really really hitting the hitting the red like right. hard and i'll go i'll go over to front of house and i'll be like hey so this person's really really just just smashing it out i'm not gonna do that so can you turn me up i've definitely had to do that at like mm. probably more occasions than i can count on my hands yeah maybe a good strategy would be like um getting the sound guy's number or something and just being like oh, i'm gonna text you from backstage or something if i need anything or whatever that's actually probably a great idea 
Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there's just so many times <clears throat> in communication, right? Where yeah. you want want to be able to communicate. Anyway, yeah, we're we're running we're running way over. Well, hold, yeah, hold I, on. I, I wanted to talk about one more thing actually. Now, um, yeah, no, no, go ahead. I mean, I'm I'm free. Like, if you obviously if you want to cut any of this, like you you can make it shorter. I just you know anything you feel like asking. I I, I cleared the afternoon, so. Oh, tight. Yeah, no. Any any length we do it will be the length that it gets released as. Um, I okay. usually don't cut anything out unless the guest wants to. Um, and usually that's just like because they think they say something that might have been a little insensitive or because you know, something like that. But I don't think we've gone anywhere close to that in this episode. Um, <laughs> I'm very sensitive about horn-loaded subs. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like I will never, you know, like drop the, the H word around a horn-loaded sub, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want to do it. You just no, don't want to do it. Insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, amps. I want to talk about amps because um, you're just saying that you know, with the tipper thing, uh, the example that I gave there, that the most likely case is that you would blow an amp and not a speaker, um, or 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 just the circuit. Like if the okay. like it could, it might not even be the amplifier that's running. Like I I don't know if it was a you said it was a, a function one system or like yeah. I'm not sure. Like I'm not a hundred percent familiar with with all their systems, but I know that you know cer- there's there's passive and active types of speakers, right? So, so active, for people listening at home, yeah, there you go. That yeah, uh, what what that is is basically you can have an external amplifier that's powering a lot of speaker, a lot of different speakers that don't have power inherently in them. Mm-hmm. But something like for your, for example, your studio monitors at home, like if you're familiar with what they would look like, uh, like at any studio, those all have power switches in the back, which means they have built-in amplifiers in the back of their speakers, and those are considered what's called active speakers, right? Right. So. It, so in the scenario like that, like obviously if you don't have like the full information of what's going on, it could have simply been that they're running a lot of power on the circuits they had available and they don't want to trip the circuit, right? right. So, and, so can, you, can you just explain like the most basic thing, like what is an amp in this uh, scenario uh, doing even? Well, okay, so like, like to give you an example of the way like a circuit would work in a – in a loudspeaker, right? You have you have like a simple circuit where you have electrons travel out one way and hit what's called a transducer. In this case, it would be a driver, right? And that driver is what what moves the speaker. That driver is what the speaker is that's moving. It's basically that cone that everyone looks at, the circle, the cone. That's what's called the driver, right? And that has a whole bunch of different specific pieces. But basically what that is is normally it's traditionally it's a coiled copper that's in a mag that's has a magnet on it that gives it like a charge of basically back or forth. Is it, am I moving the cone back or forth to create, to create that sound, right? And, and move air. Okay. So, uh, what you need though is, is you need, if in, in that circuit, you need to amplify that circuit because otherwise you don't have anything cre- giving enough and en- you don't have enough things. Uh, sorry. You don't have enough power to give that circuit the energy it needs to move that transducer, right? Right. So to push it back and forth. So, so, so you either get like an incredibly quiet signal or no signal. Or no signal. Like, in fact, what we do is when we're, when we're testing a speaker's uh, impedance, like how, how much resistance <laughs> it has in a circuit, mm-hmm. we, we are, what we do is we remove the amplifier, hmm. right? And we, and we run a test without the amplifier. And we'll, and you can, it'll bring back a, uh, it'll bring back a little, 
uh, response that will show what what what's has the least and most resistance in uh, in a frequency spectrum. So you can kind of say, oh, well, the resonant frequency of this driver is at 100 hertz or whatever it, it may be. Mm. Uh, you can actually look and see like where in the spectrum it has. So you do you play another little sweep, but you can't you can't really hear the sweep when you when you do it without an amplifier. You hear it really quiet. It's like a little wee. It's like really really quiet. But then you can you can see without an amplifier where the resistance of that uh, uh, where is where it's the least resistant is where the resonant frequency of of that object is right. in this in right so so you need so basically you need just what the word is you need to amplify right. the energy of it to move that object right or to yep. move that transducer in this case right yeah it makes total and sense there's a it's lot- like in the same way that phantom power powers like a condenser microphone or something it's just like sending a little more signal in because that transducer in the microphone which is essentially just a speaker wired backwards needs a little more power than a dynamic microphone which requires less right yeah you basically anything that's going to be a a moving vibrating mechanical thing is going to need more energy to to move it right like uh uh there is there is the 30 inch speaker technology that we use is actually not a traditional magnetic uh, coil, copper coil. It's actually a a piston driven. Uh, almost looks like an engine. It's like like it looks like a this little engine block almost, mm-hmm. and 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 so it's move. It's still having to move. It's still you still have to power it with like electricity through a circuit, but. In order to do that, you need a lot more power because you're moving like right. a lot a bigger thing. You're right? essentially moving like a solenoid or something, right? Yeah, you're you're moving. It's it basically looks like this. It looks like a rectangular block, right? And there's a there's a like a piston that comes out of it. Yep. Right. And, and that's and like that's in and place. that's connected to a cone, right? right? That's connected to the cone, and then that pushes the cone back and forth. Right. And right? that's in place of the standard design, which would be essentially. A piece of metal or something like that with a uh, coil wound around it, right? Yeah, it's copper coil uh, uh, wound around this uh, ra- uh, wound. <laughs> excuse me, winded around a the the base of the cone, and then the cone sits in the in the back of the these slits that are inside this magnet, mm-hmm. and the and and so the magnet is then charged differently to give it. The, the the basically the one or zero like am I moving back or which which direction am I moving right, right and then like everything in between one and zero right this is the exact same yeah, as yeah, like exactly. how how like um like euro rack synthesis works right it's kind of like the only thing that voltage can do is go higher go lower or stay the same and that's pretty much like all modular synthesis is whether it's a modulator or a uh you know oscillator. Or an output, it doesn't. Or an amplifier, <laughs> it's like all the same. It's like is it is it some range between zero or no uh, electricity in it, or one the most electricity it can handle in it? <laughs> yeah, and we have and we have like DSP, like like my my direct like like work at PK is doing DSP stuff, which is testing for dynamics of the of the drivers. So like, how much voltage, how much power can I put through? Uh, and and also the frequency response of it, you know. So um, there's digital processes that go in between the 
uh, like what's actually coming out of the speaker and uh, what's going into the speaker, right? Mm-hmm. And that that DSP will regulate, you know, like if there's too, if, how much power you're going to give the driver and uh, what frequencies are getting filtered. There's like a frequency filter in there as well, right? Mm. So uh, I was going to ask, um, when somebody says that they like blew up an amp, you know, like sometimes I hear this, like some, I'll be like, why is the sound not working? And someone's like, oh, they blew an amp. Like, what does that mean? Does that just mean that they sent too much electricity into it and like specifically a component in their blue? Or does it just mean most of the time that they tripped a circuit or something like that? Uh, well, blow, well, tripping a circuit would mean like the whole thing just shuts off. Yeah. Right. right. Like, like the, the whole circuit. So everything connected to it would shut off. If someone blew the amp or like fried the amp, I would say more the accurate term would probably be fry the amp. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> you're literally heating it up to the point where like, like usually what I see going goes first in, in amps are usually capacitors because you, you, cause you're putting so much power like through them that they literally heat up or like I've had like a, I had a capacitor actually. I opened up an, uh, at like a, like an old, like we were like prototype testing this old thing. And like, it, this is like, you know, it wasn't like a product we use, but it was, is like, this is like something I was, I was just like testing. And, um, and I, I opened it up and I actually had like a capacitor, like almost explode in my face. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're made out yeah, of what, like ceramic or something, right? Um, I think they're, I know that they have castor oil in some of them. Hmm. Uh, uh, and that's what actually exploded in my face. Fuck's like I, a little, and, uh, like yeah. a little Molotov cocktail or something. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. But uh, I think that I don't know the, exactly what they're. I think the ceramic ones. There, there's different kinds uh, as well, but um, they they're all like I know that I definitely had a ceramic one at one point, like just kind of drip off and and like like kind of just melt off once and like land, land embed itself in the wood. I mean, obviously these are all things that like we never, like we, you know, when we're making products, we, we test all this stuff. So it never happens mm-hmm. in, in like when we're using the products. Right. So these are all experiences that I had in R and D making sure that no one, no one has to experience them when we're, when they get used. Right. 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 Cool. Um, well, yeah, man. I mean, I think that's most of my questions about speakers for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I thank you so much for having me on the show, and uh, and uh, I, I'm happy I got to talk music with you a little bit too. I mean, that's really like, you know, what I what I've been doing, what I was doing prior to this for a long time as well. And I, I yeah. we didn't really get into much uh, talk about like sound design or, or, or mixing and stuff like, like that. But. I've talked about that so much on this show already. Um, and we can talk about sound design and stuff like at some point, but I feel like people at this show are probably like a lot more bored of that than they are about like physics of how speakers work right now. Cause like we've only ever done one other episode um, that, that was like this one. And it was with um, Anthony Bissett from, can't remember his company's name, but they're based in Oakland. And they make these um these pretty cool speakers. And uh, I had Matt Davis on at the same time. And Matt Davis is like a small room acoustician. He does like acoustics for like Tipper and Chris Lake and you know those kind of people. Nice. Um, and he works as a uh, Bob Katz's uh, like side engineer, basically. Like he's a <laughs> oh know, cool. Yeah, he works directly with Bob Katz and stuff like that. 
Uh, so he's like, I a, love Bobcats. I love his. I love Bobcats book. Yeah, dude. So the key threes, um, I upgraded to because he's been uh, talking about them a lot. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, Bobcats' book is it's great. I, I I had that as like a university reference thing. As, <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so Matt and Anthony were on at one point, and that episode was like I think a little similar to this one because we were talking about speaker design versus like acoustics and um, just sound theory shit in general. But I. I yeah, I always find this shit like really interesting to talk about because it's almost like if you understand stuff from this fundamental level, then like mixing becomes so much easier and you know speaker placement becomes like kind of intuitive, more intuitive and like a lot of these answers that you always thought were like to really daunting questions and stuff, you're like, well, if I just think about it in the most basic terms, like nothing is, it doesn't, it's not actually that confusing no no yeah there's i mean like you were describing before how we really only have almost like an x y coordinate when we're that we're working with we've got frequency and we've got amplitude Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it right Right. (laughs) and then and then from there the amount of stuff you can do though is astounding right Right. well we always we have time as well yeah yeah but that's well frequency and amplitude like don't exist unless like like together unless you have time right unless time it's implied (laughs) it's implied yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean you can have it i guess one instance of like a digital sample doesn't i guess doesn't have time (laughs) you know it still does but it's just such i guess it still does technically yeah (laughs) Yeah. it has one sample of time whatever that is 44 one thousandth of a second yeah (laughs) if you're in yeah if you're in 44 one yeah yeah do you usually? This is a question I have for you. Do you usually stay in forty four one? Yes, and the only reason why I would go to any other sample rate is because the project I was working on required it or something. Which, uh, like, I scored a Nick Cage movie and had to work in forty eight. Um, that's the only really real reason I would do it. Or if like I was using a sound card that like required it or something. But for the most part, um, I've done so many tests like AB tests um, using Hofer Double Blind, which is a plugin that um, you can just throw shit into and just like there's a little dice uh, icon on it and you click the dice and it just randomly plays you one back. And it's like, how'd you feel about that one? You rate it by a five-star system. <laughs> um, and you also write notes like how you felt about it. Uh, so I do that sometimes and I'll do it with various shit, you know, like bit depth, sample rate, uh, I'll like, you know, shoot out compressors against one another, that kind of shit. Uh, and I just, I can't tell the difference, man, like between fucking 44.1 and 192. However, there actually is another reason why I would do this. And it's if I was stretching the sample incredibly long, like for instance, Mm. um, if I planned to put, uh, sample into like pole stretch or something like that and stretch it out to like 50 times its length then i would render it out as 192k uh because then it just has like more samples per second and as you stretch it out it, it sounds it, it's different um, it makes a big difference i'd imagine it. yeah like, exactly yeah, so so long, the yeah. way to do this in ableton is go into your, your render settings turn it turn it all the way up um render out the thing you want to stretch put it back in while the session's still running at 192k stretch it out and then you need to render it and then import that sample again before setting it back to 44 one um, mm-hmm. and then it just has it's just a higher resolution sample to to stretch and i don't yeah. do it all the time i'll do it like if i'm troubleshooting basically like if i'm stretching a vocal or some shit or i'm stretching something and i'm like ah oh, it just sounds shitty or like whatever then I'll maybe try this as like a troubleshooting method 
or I'll just try it like uh, as like a theoretical interest. Like what would this sound like at that resolution if it was stretched, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I mean, honestly, like, the only... I was just going to add to that. Um, otherwise, the like as we talked about before with the Nyquist theorem, um, forty-four point one pro will produce up to twenty-two and a half thousand hertz, and no one's hearing goes that high. It's no, yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's yeah, not so. happening. That's dog territory for exactly, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I the only time I ever can really hear the difference is if it's recorded mm -hmm. at that sample rate and it's a hi hat. That's about it. If it's like a if it's like a ride, every once in a while I can go, oh, okay, that sounds higher resolution to me because it was recorded and played back at that level. But the thing is, is most of the not even most of the time, pretty much all the time, mm -hmm. like you're never in that environment where you're going to right. perceive that, you know? Yeah, I mean, and there, I mean we're you're we're up dealing with a, and down sampling constantly and like once you get yeah. to the distribution it's like Spotify is playing back eight and like MP3 quality and everything it's like who gives a shit exactly yeah so I yeah I, I kind of feel the same way I share that same kind of sentiment for sure yeah you know and same same with that. bit depth like the same thing it's like I'll mostly just stay in 16 um, because I don't really need to be in anything else though I will if I'm doing sound design or some shit like that i'll put it in 32 or if i'm rendering stems i'll usually render them at 32 uh yeah i usually do the mud pies at 32 it, 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 but i mean that's if uh, usually i have a limiter in the end anyway i'm not even really clipping so i probably could get away with 24 like because if i wanted to do my 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 always my concern is always if i'm doing a lot if i end up doing a lot of post processing on the sample after i might want it to be at 24 but even with that, like I, you can get away with 16. It's not going to be the end of the world, especially if you're doing like some kind of electronic music where it's already inherently digitally distorting and yeah, exactly. adding effects and stuff. You <laughs> and know, there like, isn't that much dynamic range anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like I mean, it's more. It's a lot more difficult if you're like mixing like I don't know, like a blues track, or like if you're doing like something that has like really delicate recording and stuff. And mm. I do that. I do that once in a while. I'll do. I'll mix like. Just for like, you know, I'll mix like a, I, I just mixed like a blues thing recently. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's just, you got to be more delicate with everything. You have more dynamics, you have, uh, you know, more subtlety and in the way that the tracks have to be mixed. Um, and the focal, I feel like the focal points of the track shift a lot more with, with like a lot of like instrument based stuff. Because every every player wants to have their stuff in the forefront at certain times, mm. uh, you know. When I'm writing an electronic song, I usually find that I'm like, "This is the focal point here. This is the focal point there." Right. And drums and bass, and I'm good. You yeah, know? yeah <laughs> like exactly. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So my my main concern with bit depth actually is um, the distortion thing with 32 bit is one of them. But my actual like main concern that I find comes up more than even that is uh, it has to be 16-bit to be played on a CDJ most of the time. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I just don't want to risk like rendering out files that I might DJ in any other bit depth because there's so many times when I've um, gone to, you know, uh, 
DJ a, a song or something like that. And then it's like, oh, that file format is unsupported. And I'm like, well, that sucks because oh, I really wanted to yeah. play that track next. <laughs> oh, that exact, that's happened to me. So, and if you don't check it, you're just like, in, you're like, yeah, cool. And then you're like, oh, right you're in the like, middle of your the set. Hell? Yeah, it's, that's happened fun. to me at least like half a dozen times. Like, yeah, I absolutely mm. know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's so annoying too. Because sometimes you're like, this song's great. You're yeah. like, I'm ready to do, you know? Prime to do it, absolutely. Yeah, I just kind of idiot proof it too. Is the sense of like just making it sixteen bit, making it work. Although mm-hmm. I I have in the past had some clients like insist or like hey, if you sent me, I need the twenty four bit versions too. <laughs> to I'm like okay, no Fine. problem, you can go, <laughs> go for it, you know. Yeah, but but uh, I I usually just try to play. I mean, sixteen bits enough for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, um. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm I'm really gra- glad that you reached out, and I'm really glad. I think was it Dan Dirksen that put us in touch, or I was I, I thought it was Nate Martin. Might have been. Yeah, whoever. Yeah, put us but in I touch. I just I know it's Thomas from Danio's told me he's like you should reach oh, out to yeah. Bill because I think Thomas did one of your tours in Canada. He did. Yeah, actually, I'd like to have him on the podcast at some point. He's a great agent, a great he, manager. He's an amazing. He's just an amazing human being. Like, yeah, he, he is. Uh, <laughs> uh, like he's he is a great agent and manager, but he's also just a sweet human being. And uh, I appreciate Thomas's outlook on life in general. Yeah, uh, he's it's a, just like somebody you talk to, and you're like, wow, I should probably think more like this. I would feel better about myself and life and everything. Yeah, yeah he's really positive. <laughs> like, yeah, it's amazing. Extremely positive guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah. No, thank you for having me. I, I you know, I've, I've been um, a, uh, a a longtime listener as well. So, <laughs> and, and uh, fan of fan of your music. I play your music as well. I have a, a music podcast that I do uh, just on like SoundCloud, and 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 I try to uh, promote the eighty to ninety BPM range of bass music, and and um, so I've played uh, a few of your tracks on there. Nice. Just, uh, just trying to. Well, I feel like there's so many podcasts out there that, you know, specifically focus on drum and bass or dubstep or like one in you know, particular genre. But this this strange like eighty to ninety range that everyone has a different name for. I <laughs> I try to find a. I, it's very hard to find a, a place that curates that. Mm. So I try to I try to do that on the show. That's kind of the purpose of it. Right. Uh, to curate that kind of area. And what is that uh, music. called? What is that podcast? Uh, called? I just WoofX Radio Podcast. Okay, so and that that's on a different um, SoundCloud account to your WoofX stuff. No, no, you can just go on the WoofX one. It's on there. I have I have a playlist that has it all. I I honestly I thought about like I mean I even my label I just I I don't even have a a, a website for my label or anything. It's just all part of the artist page because oh. i only release my own music on my label like right. it's it's a vehicle for, for me to release my i do collabs too but it's yeah. it's just for me to put out my stuff and like honestly i just thinking about having to handle the social media of like four different websites because i it you just need to it, hire it, a guy eventually basically is how it works Exactly, and and uh, oh, and I just rather I'd rather just keep everything just centralized at the for the time being anyway until I start maybe you know releasing other artists on my pay, on my label or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's really just my label's really just this focus that I've been doing, kind of doing these weird. I, I, I it's all eighty to ninety BPM stuff, and it's it's really kind of I don't know where it where it would even fit 
like on to on other and another label or something you know i just i don't really I, I half the time i don't even really shop it around i just kind of go i'm gonna put this out and and do, doing doing pk and working at pk is really like the the focus in my life anyway at the time for the time being and mm-hmm. now that the pandemic's over i might think in the next year or so about like really foraying back into into doing more music because i it really is the thing i love to do the most and um even just having conversations like this, like is just, it's, it's really where the kind of my passion lies with talking about like face plants. Great. I don't know why, but I, I just love talking about stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I should have the kilohertz guys on actually. I, I think we, that would be awesome. We've talked about it and I think we plan to, at some point I should, I, I'm going to make a note to hit them up. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. Totally. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks so much. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll see you around at a show at some point or hopefully we'll we'll get to chat again at some point for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. And uh, if you're ever up around this area, I'd be happy to give you a tour of the facility as well. It's in Calgary, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's in Calgary. We, uh, like I said, we just moved uh, to a new facility. Uh, it's like around 50,000 square feet. Uh, and uh, we, we rebranded and uh, ha- we have a whole new uh, way that we're we're selling the speakers now with our our partners. We have a, an alliance with uh, partnerships around uh, North America, going into Europe and Asia. Uh, so it's it's really cool. There's a lot of like cool stuff going on there, um, and it's just fun. It's fun to tour. We you know you can listen to your tunes on a big system in the demo room. So totally. All right, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, no worries, man. Have a good one. You too. Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, You should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, but, but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just, just put that out there. I know what I'm doing.